Well, let's open in prayer. Our gracious God, you are good, and you have provided this time for us to gather and to discuss your truth and how it affects our lives. So we ask that you be with us, guide us. Uh, May our conversation um, be encouraging, may it be convicting, and in all things may we seek you in your truth, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last week, I told you I was going to start a series when Pastor Isaac's uh, not around. Uh, So today, last week he was down in Oregon, uh, filling a pulpit at uh, Westminster OPC in Corvallis. And this morning he's filling the pulpit up in uh, Trinity OPC in Bothell, um, John and Lori's old church. And uh, so when he's not here, I'm not going to carry on his series, but work on another series. And so uh, it's it's on doctrine in real life. Um, so first, what is doctrine? Let's, let's review. What is doctrine? Teaching. Teaching. Good. And in our context, what kind of teaching are we talking about? Reformed. Sorry? Reformed. Okay, reformed. Uh, Jonathan? God's teaching. God's teaching. Good. Right? Biblical teaching? Good. Uh, so in our, in our context, we're talking about uh, doctrine as God's truth that helps us understand him and his creation and how the two are meant to relate to each other. Now, we're, we're not focusing on the doctrines so much as how they should affect our lives day to day. And I don't mean to say that doctrines aren't important and that they shouldn't be studied in depth. Uh, we've gone over them, and, and we've done that before. We'll do that again. The point of this series is, is really just kind of study their implications for our life. And, and so today, we want to start looking at the doctrine of Scripture, uh, of God's Word, the Bible. And uh, I don't want to get into too much depth, but just review a couple things about that teaching, about what the Bible says about itself. So first of all, what is the Bible about? What is the Bible about? Jonathan. Yeah, to a very large degree, that is one of the main things, is how we are to obey God and, and imitate Him, right, as those who are made in His image. Absolutely. And in fact, to get there, it first has to tell us who God is, right, uh, what He has done to save us, and how we are to respond by obeying Him, walking in His footsteps, like Jonathan said, Okay. In other words, the Bible isn't about auto mechanics. If you want to learn how to work on your car uh, or my truck, uh, the Bible is not going to be sufficient to teach you how to do that. Uh, uh, It's not going to teach you about medicine. It's not going to teach you about art. Um, It's about who God is and what it means to be his people. Now, can we know those things without the Bible? Jonathan, I'm going to let some other people answer too, but we're going to, maybe, I don't know, they might not volunteer, Elaine? You know God from, that he exists from creation. Right. There are some things we can know about God from creation, right? We can know his existence, his power, his justice, his law, and his wrath 
for those who don't keep it, right? We have this deep sense of good and evil and our conscience bears witness that we have not kept the law that we know exists and that we, are, we, we deserve punishment. Absolutely. Can we know about what he has done to save us from that wrath apart from the Bible? No. Right? Creation, nature, is, is enough to teach us about God's existence and what we deserve for disobeying, but it's not enough to teach us how to escape the judgment we deserve. Okay? The Bible is the only place where we can learn those things. It's necessary if we want to know about God and his salvation in that way. Now, one more thing before we move on to its, its implications for day-to-day life. Where does the Bible come from? Holy men inspired by God. Excellent, right? Uh, so he, yeah, I think Steve's think, thinking of Second Peter one twenty one, right? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, right? And in other words, yes, God used humans to write the Bible, but it is not the creation of humans. And so Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen, right? All Scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, right? Um, If it comes from God, what does that mean about its accuracy? Jonathan. It's 100% accurate. It's 100% accurate. Absolutely. Can God make a mistake? No. Can God lie? No. Can God speak out of ignorance, out of not knowing something? Is there anything he doesn't know? No. So the Bible is perfect and without error. Now, do you really believe that? And and if you do, well, first let me ask you, do you really believe that? Okay, good. So the question is, how is that evident in your life? If, If someone was just observing your life, how would they know that? If you really believe that, how should it affect your life? Okay. It, it should it should show itself in obedience to it. Good. Anything else? Should uh, observe a light in their life. Okay. What kind of light? A light that draws other people to question what's the hope, the joy, the okay. The, uh, the reason. It should. It should make something attractive about your life. Good. Okay. With joy and hope. Okay. Yeah, and in fact, this question, how should that be evident that you believe that the Bible is God's word? How should it be evident in your life could be taken a few different ways, right? We might be asking, how much attention should you be giving to God's word, right? Um, If you really believe this is God's word, how much... uh, How much attention do you give it, right? Or we could be asking, how does it affect your daily life? How does it affect how you live, right? And I'm really asking both. Uh, So this time and and next, which will probably be uh, Thanksgiving weekend, is uh, um, I think the next time Pastor Isaac's not going to be here. I want to look at how God's word affects our lives. And, and I think we can break this into two groups, two categories, right? This, this week, today, what I want to look at is how does it renew our minds? So kind of how does it affect how we think and believe and things like that? Uh, I think um, 
I think of Romans 12 too in light of that. Remember what it says. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That, that God's word is meant to change the way you think so that, that you would think his thoughts after him. That you would, you would value what he values. In order to have a changed life, your mind must be renewed. It must be transformed. And that's what I want to address today. And um, next time, I'll, I'll look at how does... God's word uh, direct our feet, right? So how does it renew our minds? How does it change the way we think and believe? And then uh, how does it call us to live next time will be, you know, uh, more of the the guiding our feet, directing our paths, um, teaching us how to live and guard us from dangers, things like that. So today, uh, my main point is this. God's word teaches you to understand the world around you and gives you the strength that you need to follow God each day. It, it teaches you to understand the world around you and gives you the strength you need to follow God each day. That's really what I want to try to jump into. I've got uh, five um, points on how, to, how God does that, how the Bible does that. The first is God's word teaches you to see the world as it really is. Now, have you ever noticed that people think differently, that that two different people can look at the exact same situation and have totally different takes on it? Okay. Have you ever talked to someone who interprets a situation so totally different than you that you don't even know where to begin to try to address that? Yeah. Why do you think that is? Different worldview. Okay, so what's a worldview? Jonathan. How you view the world, the purpose of the world. Okay, how you view the world, it's purpose, good. It's your starting point. It's your starting point, right? And exactly, in other words, when we look at the world around us, we all don't just simply see facts. We interpret. Those facts are filtered, if you will, through our way of seeing the world. Right, And so two people can see the exact same situation and one can think, what a great thing. And the other thinks, the world is ending. And you think, how? well, their understanding of that is radically different, right? Um, parents and kids see this all the time, right? Uh, a kid sees a setback, thinks the world is ending, and the parent thinks, this is good. This is going to help them grow and mature. It's going to be hard, but this is probably a good thing in their life. Right? They have two different ways of interpreting the same event. Um, we, have, we have a way of understanding things, assessing them, evaluating them. And, but people think differently. And why is that? It, it's because we have different ways of seeing the world and understanding it. Now, as Christians, I think there's a couple dangers we have when it comes to viewing the world and interpreting it. The first is this. You know, um, who remembers syllogisms in in high school? Proofs, right? Anybody? Nope. Okay. Okay. I'm talking to the three of you. The rest need to go back to 10th grade. Uh, We... 
proofs, right? You, you, you build an argument based upon things that you think are true, right? And I think a lot of Christians have a, a proof that goes something like this. I am a Christian. I think X. Therefore, X is the Christian way of thinking and seeing the world. Anybody ever... Let's not get too uh, vulnerable here. Anybody ever see somebody else do that? Okay. Anybody ever... Okay, I don't want to ask. What's wrong with that argument? That because I'm a Christian and I see things this way, it must be the Christian way of seeing it. Okay. Okay, so even as a Christian, sin continues to taint my thinking, to affect my thinking. There's remnants of my non-Christian way of thinking that still affect me. So in other words, the right... Uh, yes, Jonathan. It's the fallacy of hasty generalization. You only have one example, and you're saying that the rest of the world in that world must be shaped after this one example. Exactly, Right. And it starts with uh, uh, what we would call a faulty premise, a, a, a wrong, your starting point is wrong, right? Uh, not that you're a Christian, but that you are a perfected Christian. That's really the assumption. When somebody says, I'm a Christian, and they go on, that would be true if they were a perfected Christian, if there were no remnants of sin. But the, the reality is... I am a Christian still struggling with sin and error. Then you go on and say, I think this way. And so the last thing would be, so this might be or it might not be the Christian way of thinking because I'm not perfected yet. Just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I'm a Christian without any remnants of sin. Uh, we don't just get zapped and suddenly understand everything. Christianity is, is a process of learning. To see as God sees, to understand as he understands. And relearning, because we forget things that we've learned once. I think the other danger we face, other than just assuming that because I'm a Christian, everything I think is the Christian way. I think the other thing is that because something seems to make sense and seems to be right, it must be true. Where does that lead? That if something seems right, if something makes sense to you, it must be God's truth. Okay? It can lead to dogmatism for sure. You're trusting your feelings over the Right. It can lead you to trust your feelings, and when you trust those, what don't you do? Hmm? Yeah, yeah you, don't, you don't challenge those with God's word. If you just stop, well, this makes sense. It must be true. You don't challenge challenge whether or not it's true. Yeah, Jonathan. Look at Robin He was stealing from the rich and giving to the needy. Now the king was taking on just taxes, but that doesn't mean that stealing is right. Doesn't mean that stealing is right. Even if it feels right or you think it's right. That leads all sorts of, you know, uh, trust your heart type statements or, you know, if it feels good, it can't be wrong. All those things. Um, But that can lead us to disregard things that God has clearly said because we're trusting ourselves more than we're trusting his word. Now, now when you become a Christian, you need to think differently. And, And how you see the world has to be completely reoriented. 
That means your values, your morals, your priorities. They all have to be shifted around, changed. So how do you do that? Where do you, where do you learn to, uh, what to value? Where do you learn what is good and what is evil? Where do you learn uh, where to spend your time and your energy? Joy? In Scripture. Right. Yeah, that's where we learn uh, to, to, to shift our values, our priorities, where we're spending our time. You have to immerse yourself in the world of the Bible. Uh, the more time you spend in the Bible and hear how it speaks, what it emphasizes, uh, and, and what it doesn't, quite frankly, what it values, what it prioritizes, slowly, bit by bit, they will reshape you. They will change you. You have to unlearn the way that you see the world and you have to relearn God's way of seeing the world. And there's no way to do that other than spending a lot of time in God's word. And as you do, it will shape you. It will transform you. And nothing else can do that for you. Only the Bible can do that. Um, it will shape the way you think. It will shape the way you see the world. Um, if, you, if you ignore it, then those things won't be reshaped. They won't be changed and challenged. And you'll continue to, th- to think along the ways you did prior to becoming a Christian. So that's the first thing. God's word teaches you to see the world as it really is. And that affects every day of your life. Every day of your life. But the word of God also humbles. Um, and that's important because so many of our issues are, are driven by pride. Um, what kinds of sins um, are, are the manifestation of pride? Like, what kind of. One, one second, Jonathan, I want a couple other people to jump into. Uh, what kinds of sin does pride lead to? Okay. Yeah, uh, lashing out, right? So harshness, anger, right? Uh, retribution. Okay, good. What else? Yeah, Kylie. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that jealousy, that discontentment, uh, those kinds of things, right? They they can be a manifestation. Jonathan. It can make you forsake God. Things are going well, I noticed, in history. Like, look at Israel. They forsake God when their nation was doing really well. Yeah. Yeah, pride leads you to, to trust yourself and not trust God. Absolutely. Dave? I, I was just kind of say the same thing in essence that pride makes us want to put ourselves in the place of God to um, yeah, I, I guess deny his existence not, not maybe, maybe not expressly but mm-hmm. our actions and our words and our, and our attitudes to say that well, I, I matter yeah yeah, so many things. I think these are all good examples. Um, selfishness, right, is, is, is fed by pride. Um, 
uh, pornography is driven by pride. Um, something as simple as interrupting other people when they're talking is driven by pride. Um, anybody else other than me deal with some of those issues? Or is it just... One second, Jonathan. Um, anybody like struggle with some of those issues? Are those familiar to anybody? Yeah, Elaine. Sure. Yeah. So here's my question. Do you like dealing with those sins? Or are you comfortable with them? You feel good about those sins? The truth is sometimes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then? And then you repent. Okay. But why don't you just, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just stop those sins? We can't do it on your own. You have to go yeah. to God's Word. That's the Holy Spirit to teach you and lead you. It's hard. It's hard. It is really, really hard. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't end. No. This happens your entire life. Mm-hmm. You'll go to glory. Yeah. You, yeah, you can't just snap your fingers and be done with them. Because... Because they're actually not the real problem. They're symptoms of the real problem. Right? Um, Pride is the root. And and the other sins are manifestations of that. So what does that mean has to happen in order to address those sins? Yeah, you have to be humbled. Yeah. Hey, Jonathan? Yeah, so pornography is when you're looking at people in ways that you shouldn't. Okay, so um, people, uh, it's like spying when, when you're not supposed to be in somebody else's presence. You know, you don't want somebody in your room while you're changing, do you? I hope. Uh, right? So pornography is, is like when we're looking at somebody else changing or something like that. And that's not appropriate. Okay? Um, what's your second question? Yep. Yeah, and, and so that's what has to happen, right? In in order uh, to address those sins, we we need humility, and so um, so what is pride? It's an overestimation of our importance, our significance uh, in any situation, and so pride tends to see. Our needs, our wants, our desires as being ultimate. And, and then it seeks our praise, uh, uh, recognition, our esteem, right? Uh, and, and when you see that world, that, when you see the world that way, uh, injustices are amplified. Uh, it's not that they're invalid, but they're amplified. Uh, and every wound becomes life-threatening. And the only way, the only way 
for us to deal with that is to learn to see our story in its context of God's greater story. Um, that he, not us, not we, whatever the right tense, uh, form is, it, that God is the main character, we're not. Um, and so, so in, if we want to, to grow in humility, we have got to immerse ourselves in that bigger story. And, and, and that allows you to see that it's bigger than you. It, it allows you to see the beauty and majesty, the heights and the depths that you've never fathomed possible. It's a, it, it's a, it's a story that acknowledges, it acknowledges you, it affects you, but it doesn't depend solely on you. A story that you're not able, um, a, a story that allows you or enables you to see true holiness and to evaluate your life in light of it. Where you learn to stand in awe of grace that speaks forgiveness and healing. And the only way to truly learn and to appreciate that story is to be in it every day. Uh, if I could put it this way, humility is caught, not taught. Um, and, and to catch it, you need to spend regular time in the presence of greatness. You need to spend time with God and his word. And that doesn't mean that God's word just beats you up. Humility is not humiliation. That's not the point. You know, it, it, the, the word of God isn't there to shame you or to mock you or to laugh at you. God's, that's not God's goal. Humility means seeing the world as it really is. Not as we want it to be. Because that's the only road to true comfort. And that's the next thing God's word does, is it comforts. Yes, it humbles us, but it comforts us in that humility. Because when we, when we learn to see the world as it really is, um, we, we, we recognize that it's hard and it's full of struggles. And if we simply look at our circumstances, it can be incredibly overwhelming. It can be incredibly discouraging. Uh, we're we're going to see that uh, in, in the sermon today as well. And when that's going on, we struggle to see beyond our circumstances. To see the bigger story. And and it's so easy to only see what's right in front of us. And then we have the hardest time believing things could ever be better. And so God's word opens our eyes to a greater and unseen reality. God tells us how things will end. And he lets us know that our affliction builds character. And it gives us hope. He teaches us to see through the lies that the world tells. And he promises us peace and, and satisfaction. Not the way the world does it. The world tells us peace and satisfaction comes through indulgence. God tells us it comes through surrender. And if we, if we pursue the world's way, it, they're lies and they'll never satisfy. There is no other place in the world to find true comfort than in the one who knows the end from the beginning, the, the unseen as well as the seen, 
the beauty of truth and the ugliness of lies. If you want comfort in this world, you must spend time with the one who sees more than you ever could. Because he'll give you, he'll give you eyes to see so much more. There's another kind of comfort the Bible offers. When, when sin overwhelms you, when, when you feel unlovely and you feel unlovable, when you become absolutely convinced that neither God nor your family nor your friends could ever love you, the Bible can open your eyes and the Bible alone can open up your eyes to just how deeply your God loves you. It's the Bible alone that will tell you God's mercies are new every morning. It alone will testify to the reality that you have been adopted as his child, that you have been redeemed from your sins, and that you have been made heirs of heaven, and that though your sins were like scarlet, they have become as white as snow. And it is in the Bible alone that you will continually hear that promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Are those things hard to believe? Kylie? Have you put as well into your um, this message of like self-care and like if you take care of yourself and you give yourself like a day, you know, to go and do these things and like I, I, I see it also in Christian women, not just in secular circles too, and so I think there's that message of, you know, if you feel good on the outside, then you'll feel good on the inside. And yeah, no, I mean, how many times can you go and do these things and you still don't feel fulfilled or don't feel... Yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because there's always an echo of truth in the world's lies, right? God says you need to rest, right? That there are times you need to, right? The world takes that and says you need to focus on you. God says you need to rest so you can focus on me, right? Because in that you will find contentment. People people are twisting that and saying you need to focus on you. And, And it turns that into to self-focus rather than God-focus, which, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Jonathan. Is there a time for self-focus, self-meditation? Well, again, I would argue that, that God tells you that there's a time to rest, that you are not to go and to go and to go 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But he tells us that our rest is found not in focusing on ourselves so much, but on him. And when we focus on his goodness and his love and his provision, we find the rest we need. So I would, I, it depends how you, are, how you explain that, right? <laughs> I think occasionally playing video games is fine. Yes. Occasionally men. Okay. Sorry. 39-year-olds who have seven-hour gaming times till they stay up till 3 a.m. Come see me afterwards. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to come. I'm trying sure. to Yeah. You asked, are those promises in Scripture hard to believe? And they are, but 
when that's all you have left to believe, you have to cling to them. You have to cling to them. Yeah. 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 But the God's God's mercy is so great, you know, that you, to use that old expression, it's too good to be true, we think, right? We have that expression, if something sounds too good to be true, it probably is. And that usually is true with, with people, but not with God. Like, it really, but it's, it can be hard to believe, hard to remember. And, and, and you have an enemy and a world that are telling you that there is no such love like this. You, shouting in your ears, that there is no such love like this. And your own feelings of inadequacy will join that chorus and say, surely there can't be. Surely if God really knew what, what is going on in here, there's no way he could love me. And, and so we need to hear the truth Clearly, and we need to hear the truth regularly, um, because God's word alone can comfort our our wounded conscience. His word alone can speak peace when when we're convinced that our God is at war with us. You know, uh, it's like the, the apostles; they all blew it the night of the crucifixion. Right? Peter denied him. What must they have thought Jesus felt towards them? And yet, what are the first words he spoke? We're going to hold on to questions for a little bit. Uh, So what are the first words he spoke? Peace to you. Right? Peace. As he shows up, and their consciences are, are, I've blown it again. The hour my Savior, my Lord, needed me the most, I was the farthest I blew it. There's no hope. There's no chance. And the first words out of his mouth are peace. Peace. We need to read these things. The last point is God's word strengthens with grace. Um, I know these are all head things, but they are incredibly practical daily head things. Um, and again, next time we're, we're talking about uh, obedience and some things like that. But, but if, if we want to, to have any strength against the, the enemy's lies, we need to be in the book of truth. And, and so that the last point this morning is God's word strengthens with grace. There's, there's more that needs to be said, but I, I want to I, I hit this last one. Um, we know what the Bible says. We know that it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of your own doing, right? We, we know the importance of grace, and, and we know that we learn about God's grace in the Bible. The problem is, I think we're often good at, at talking about that grace when it comes to justification, when it comes to becoming a Christian. And that's good. We should be good in talking about the non-Christian needs to be saved by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, And I want to say one thing about that. And this is sort of a tangent, but I think it's important. If we really believe, we really believe that, 
then God's word is really what we should be talking about when we're witnessing to our friends. I think we have a temptation to sometimes believe that we need to find another way to speak into their lives since they don't believe the Bible. Uh, We need to find some common ground outside the Bible. But if we're convinced that they need grace, then we could do no better thing than to tell them what God has told us in his word. Um, That was my tangent. Here's my point, my main point. We as Christians need God's grace as well, every day. Um, I love Galatians 3 and how it opens... Um, oh, foolish Galatians. Isn't that just wonderful? No, it's what, what follows that that's, that I really like. Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has, who has hoodwinked you, right? Because it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And he says this, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? How did you become a Christian? By hearing God's truth and believing his grace. He says this, are you so foolish? Having begun that way, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? His point is this, if you, if you came to know the Lord by trusting his grace, why would you think that you would grow any different? That you would continue, that God would change programs once you're a Christian? And his point is simple, Do you think God works differently in the Christian life than he did in bringing you to him? Grace is just as important for you today as it was the day you came to Jesus. You don't find salvation in your strength and you don't perfect it in your strength. You need grace, grace, and more grace every day. And where do you learn about God's grace? In the Bible, in His Word, uh, on, on, on Jesus' final night, um, that, as He was going to be betrayed that night in John 17, He prayed for the church. It's it's known as the high priestly prayer. It's a beautiful prayer, and uh, in that prayer, he, he prays so many things for us that are just beautiful. But but verse 17, He says this. Uh, Verses 16 and 17, he says, They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. Transform them. Pull them away from this world. Teach them to understand who they are in me. Purify them. Transform them. Strengthen them. Build them up. Make them new. And do this through your word. That's Jesus' prayer. If you think that you can grow and as a Christian and not regularly be in God's word, you are deceived. You will not grow as a Christian. You will not grow as a Christian without being in God's word regularly. Um, that's just an encouragement. <laughs> uh, It's like physical strength, right? Do you see physical strength coming into you? No. But you know that eating healthy food regularly is important if you want physical strength. 
you see physical strength once it's there, but you know that if you want it, you need to, you know, not just eat every six months. Not just eat once a week. The same thing is true spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually strong, you just you, you need to feed your soul. You need a regular diet of God's word. Um, I I can't tell you how how important this becomes, how invisible this becomes to, to the elders in me. Um, without fail. Uh, those that I counsel who are struggling the most have a very casual, at best, relationship with God's Word. There was, um, it, it, God's Word might be somewhere, but it's not deeply sought after. It's not deeply drunk in or meditated upon. Um, I talked to a man once who had just been caught in deep sin. Um, and it was bad. And his world was in complete uh, disarray. Uh, it blew up. Yeah, he lost his family. Uh, he's in danger of prison. Uh, and he claimed to want to seek God. <coughs> he'd, he'd been a part of the church for years. Right? This isn't new to him. And he said he was reading his Bible. And I said, great, what are you reading? And he said, well, I found this reading plan that tells me how to read through the Bible in a year. Now, there's nothing wrong with... Uh, reading plans. And there's nothing wrong with reading through the Bible in the year. In fact, I think it's a great goal. But his world was falling apart. And he had no idea what passages to run to. He had no favorite passages. No comforting passages. There were no well-worn pages in his Bible that he'd read over and over. And he was at a complete loss where to go in his darkest hour. I felt bad for him. But I also wondered if, if maybe that's not how he got into this situation to begin with having starved his soul for years of spiritual nourishment, was it really any wonder that he lacked the strength to say no to temptation when it knocked on his door? Beloved, if you want to be strengthened in God's grace, you need to be in His Word. Um, next time, it's going to be a few weeks from now, probably, probably, like I said, Thanksgiving weekend. There are a few more things I want to look at about God's Word um, regarding how it helps you in real life. But, but this is our starting point. Um, it teaches you to see the world as it really is. It, it humbles you and it comforts you in your humility. And it strengthens you with God's grace. Um... I hope that you believe it's inspired and without error. And I hope that you believe that it's more than that. I hope you believe that it's one of your most precious gifts. uh, And it's to be enjoyed every day. Drunk in. Read over and over. Sought refuge in. Meditated upon. Memorized. um, 
it is a great gift. Uh, any final questions or thoughts before I close in prayer? Yeah, Jonathan. Mm-hmm. When times were good, and the world's argument to care about yourself and not feed your soul is, well, it's comfortable. Mm-hmm. And that's your appeal to sin in that particular way. The yeah. The appeal to your to your sin is that it's comfortable. Yeah. What is God's appeal? To God cares more about your character than He does your comfort. And so God is willing to let your life get uncomfortable if that's what it takes to make you more like him. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we we thank you uh, for your word that it teaches us to see the world as it really is, that it humbles us, that it comforts us, and that it strengthens us in your grace. As we continue this morning and head into worship, we pray that you would use your word to do all these things. And that tomorrow we would be in your word, and Tuesday we would be in your word, and Wednesday we would be in your word. Every day. And that you would use it to feed our souls and renew our minds. To help us know your love. We praise you. For you are good. Amen.